Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Or I renovated that up. And uh, that sort of leapfrogged into the second property um, only about six months later. I managed to get a, and I'm pretty sure they did a drive-by valuation. I don't know how this happened because all the work I'd done was inside and they didn't come in. But it actually valued about six or eight months later at $240,000. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset and strategy. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, I'm speaking with Bradley Beer who started as a second-year uni student and the first employee of a company he now owns called BMT Tax Depreciation Quantity Surveyors. He's also built a substantial property portfolio all over New South Wales and Victoria. B has been involved with BMT Tax Depreciation Quantity Surveyors since its early stages, joining the company as a quantity surveyor 19 years ago. Now, as the Chief Executive Officer, he plays a few roles in the company. I travel a fair bit, so I've got a few roles as a Chief Executive Officer to obviously report to a board and some investors that are other people within the business uh, and, and drive the strategy of the business to, to deliver the, the growth and the future of um, of BMT effectively. Um, now, I maintain some relationships with a lot of key alliances and clients. I'm probably the, the, the face and name of this business, um, known as the, the guy that runs it uh, and is involved in it. And I am a quantity surveyor and I have done lots of depreciation schedules in my time. But I have an executive management team and, and my job is to keep us as a team and I try to spend my time on making sure I'm driving the strategy to continue this uh, business into its future and its growth and make sure we, we deliver on um, deliver fantastic experiences for our clients. It's fun, it's diverse. I've also got my properties to look after and uh, I have good relationships with different people, especially through the through the property and accounting industries all over the country, uh, which is great, and staff all over the country and, you know, Traveling and seeing what happens in different different areas of the country is always uh, fantastic. But then getting back and having this core fantastic team of a couple of hundred people that that I work with and and just to see them grow and succeed is also um, very very good and, and a lot of fun. Something I get a lot of enjoyment out of. From humble beginnings, Beer was born in a country town to a family of four children. I, I was born and grew up in a in a sort of a country town on in uh, New South Wales called Taree. It's about four hours north of Sydney. Uh, one of uh, one of four children. My parents, uh, my parents still live in Taree. My dad was an electrician. My mum didn't work, but she had four kids to look after. Uh, did my did my schooling there. I'm the second, and there's two boys and two girls. Um, did my schooling there. Um, 
I finished um, my HSC, giving away my age, in about 1993. Thought I'd like to go and go and do uni because I thought, you know, that was probably a good idea. I started an economics degree. Uh, I didn't like it. Wish I learnt a lot more about it now because it'd be very handy in my role to understand some of that a little bit more sometimes. Uh, but. I then left uh, left university, moved back to Taree, uh, worked there in a furniture shop for for uh, I don't know eighteen months or so. Uh, it was great. It was at Foster. It was near the beach. I could surf every afternoon. Uh, loved to surf um, uh, whenever it was good, or sometimes the mornings. Um, but uh, you know, selling furniture and, and unloading furniture from trucks at, at six foot seven, uh, your back gets a bit sore after a while. <laughs> And it's pretty hot in a tin shed with furniture and it was time to go and use my brain again. So uh, I um, decided to go back and, and give the university another go and I had a, had a bit of an interest in building. So I thought the uh, construction management degree in Newcastle sounded like a good idea. thought I was going to probably manage construction or, or something like those lines. I'd renovated a bit with my dad. It was after his return to uni when through some good timing and coincidence, B began his career only after a year after BMT was established. Um, I went and started the the, uh, the degree at Newcastle Uni uh, in construction management, which you come out as a quantity surveyor, but I actually um, got my job at BMT partway through the second year because one of the eventual partners was one of my lecturers. <laughs> So I I, uh, I started um, with um, the guys in 1998, uh, June of 1998. The business had started just just under 12 months before, seventh of the seventh of 97. So we've just not not too long ago been to our 20 year anniversary of the starting. So um, yeah, which is great. And, and I so I was the first staff member, uh, and we. I became a director and shareholder in 2002. The original, the original guys that started BMT, Brendan, Matt, and Tom. No, <laughs> no, um, no, 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 nothing to hide about where the name came from. Uh, Tom was Tom was one of my lecturers at uni, and they just started the business. He was still lecturing at uni. Uh, there was Brendan who was just started working in the business, and Matt who. Um, they was never really worked in the business, helped set it up, and they they bought him out a few years later. Uh, so I started um, uh, to come and do some Connie Sylvain depreciation schedules. Didn't really know what a depreciation schedule was by then because I was still pretty early in uni uh, because I needed some work experience to, to finish my degree. So uh, in order to um, uh, in order to get that work experience, this was a way to get it, and I was actually going to get paid. wasn't very much, mind you, because it was a starting business, but it was something, and a, and uh, and it was a way to get into start getting into the industry in some way. Over time and through hard work and dedication, B uncovered his passion and went on to become a partner himself. I was focused on getting a bit of experience to start with. Um, I didn't get paid very much at all because it was early days and it was experience that you were probably prepared to do for free in order to get your degree. So the fact that I got paid something to me was good and I think I spent a lot of time working on the business at an early stage and I don't know, it just became exciting. <laughs> um, so uh, then they, they brought me in as a partner in 2002. Uh, there was the three of us um, uh, and I in, increased my ownership over a few years and then um, those original partners are actually have exited the business now in um, 2015. Uh, 
uh, and I uh, took on some more ownership. I've brought um, some of my executive team uh, in to uh, some ownership at that time as well that have been with me for, you know, 13 to 15 years between the three of them, um, or each, that is, not not five years each. Um, so they've been with us for most of the journey and they're, they're a very good team around me. We work together very well. Then, and we had some other um, other investors just come as investors and invest into the business that are that have got some experience across a range of other businesses. So I had about a third of the business, and and the rest is spread between the investors and and the exec team. And it was around the same time of Beer's promotion to a partner that he began his property investing journey. So the first property I bought, uh, and I'm just thinking, do I do I know when the settlement date was exactly? <laughs> It was about the same. It was about the same time. Um, it might have been. I think it was late in two thousand and one, or it might have actually been early, early to mid two thousand and two. Should have got that date, really, shouldn't I? But it was actually right around exactly the same time. So um, when it was a little, or not so little, uh, a four-bedroom house in a, in a in a suburb of Newcastle called Georgetown, um, and uh, it has a very big shed at the back, which was great. I, mean, I was very attracted to the shed. <laughs> Um, and the, look, the the reason behind that, like I, I think, you know, I'd, I'd already been doing some things with BMT, and I've been, you know, I spent every day talking to investors, investing in property, and they're excited about making some money from it. Um, and and I'm starting to starting to go and sort of, you know, after a few years there, we learned how to do depreciation. I started pretty early in educating investors and people about depreciation, which is the only piece I knew how to do. Um, but you, the, the benefit of that is I was out in front of people and able to learn about investing in property and how did this work and how how, how did people uh, invest in property and have multiple properties and what that meant. I mean, I came from a situation where my parents and my grandparents, for that matter, bought their house, paid it off over their life and um, then there was this different thing that I was working with these people and, and, and learned that maybe there's a different way to do things. Um so I, I saved it, saved some deposit, and uh, and and I think that the the telling time one of one of the my partners had been starting to invest in property, or they were just becoming my partners, starting to invest in some property. And I think that first property, they actually had gone and had a look at it, and uh, then I knew I was interested and keen to get into property. I think one of them didn't like the big shed as an investment, and I thought, well, I like sheds. <laughs> Um, because it was taking up so much of the backyard, I suppose, and maybe it wasn't going to be great for value. But uh, they, they, and they gave me probably a bit of a prod then and said, "You should buy it, Brad." You know, and uh, so I ran through, and they'd actually negotiated it down for me already, even from I think one hundred ninety-eight thousand was listed, and I ended up buying it for one hundred seventy thousand dollars. It's a four-bedroom house, um, and it's probably worth about six hundred to six hundred fifty thousand dollars now, and I still own it. <laughs> no, the shed still exists. He describes why this property was an interesting purchase that allowed him to leapfrog to the next one. The house was an absolute uh, crapper. Uh, <laughs> so what? Um, it, I, I cannot count the number of cockroaches that came out of underneath the kitchen benches when I pulled it apart. Uh, the carpet that I ripped up was on top of another carpet and lino and I found newspapers underneath that from about 1914, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, it's an old traditional weatherboard house, although someone had put forever boards on the outside of it and made it look really horrible. Um, 
was a four-bedroom house that had a guy living in it that had rented the rooms out because it's not far from a university in Newcastle. Um, and uh, I, so I, I, I kind of ripped apart the inside. Um, I remember um, – now, I know it must have settled um, uh, sometime up to, you know, early in the year-ish um, uh, or, or, or because I do remember in the middle of winter – with the bathroom completely ripped out and and uh, you know having to redo the floor in the bathroom and the and the piers and put piers in, which funnily enough, one of my mates from uni who knew a bit more about construction helped me with. So I was working, uniing, and at, my dad was an electrician. I'd be crawling through the ceiling at eleven o'clock at night, um, helping him to run the wires for electricity changes and renovated the inside of it. You know, new kitchen, new bathroom, um, and painted the inside of it. And then I really ran out of money, so the outside stayed as it was. <laughs> um, and but re- the, the 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 moral of that is that I, I guess it was get straight in and do some pretty hefty renovating because the way to make some money out of that was to make some equity growth, and also it was not really livable. <laughs> um, so I renovated that up and. Uh, uh, that sort of leapfrogged into the second property um, only about six months later. Um, I managed to get a – and I'm pretty sure they did a drive-by valuation. I don't know how this happened because all the work I'd done was inside and they didn't come in. But it actually valued about six or eight months later at $240,000. Um, I was just on the back of sort of New South Wales properties moving and they didn't do much for a while after that. Um but it leapfrogged me uh, uh, to give me that little bit of equity to, to, to push into the second property. Coming up after the break, we'll continue to delve into Beer's property investment journey. I went pretty hard, most of them around that Newcastle area. I moved back a little bit to where I grew up. How he implemented his equity in the expansion of his property portfolio. Um, still hold the property that I haven't sold. Um, so... Uh, and and the, the returns I can get of those because you, you need the cash flow in order to keep going. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey podcast listeners, are you enjoying listening to these stories and want more? Then head over to propertyinvestory.com and subscribe to receive your free property case studies that I only send exclusively via email. Just one of the many benefits of being part of this community. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, their strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinvestory.com to get your free case studies. Now back to the show. While his interest in property developed from his career, his interest in construction began at an earlier age. I'd renovated a bit with my dad um, on our on our house over time, and spent a lot of time in the in the garage with my grandfather, building thick building things, fixing things, and doing that sort of stuff. I grew up in a country town where there was no push to do that. I mean, I came from a situation where my parents and my grandparents, for that matter, bought their house, paid it off over their life, and um, then there was this different thing that I was working with these people and and, and learned that maybe there's a different way to do things. And look, and they they are they're still in that house. I do own the house next door. I do own what was my grandma's house. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know if I spent so much time out there, I decided that, you know, I needed to hold on to it or what, but um, it's, uh, um, you know, they've come up and I thought maybe we could do something And with the house next door. My grandma lived in the house next door to my parents before she passed away for a period of time, which was kind of handy. So, uh, you know, she rented it. It was a proper commercial transaction. Um, but, um, um, you know, that wasn't the reason for buying it. It just happened at the same time. His role in BMT and his family were also influential in where he began and first developed his investment portfolio. Since he knew the Newcastle area in his hometown, he planted his seeds there, eventually expanding into state. So because of that, and I was sort of half living Sydney and Newcastle where BMT started out in Newcastle and then moved to Sydney just after and then spread around the country since. I knew that area, it was less expensive to get into and I just kept buying in that area and I actually stayed renting up until only a couple of years ago uh, for the rest of life. So I'm the the ultimate rent vester, which we can talk about later, but I kept just buying reef. So, you know, I've got the Georgetown, uh, Mayfield, I've got some in Adamstown, Broadmeadow, um, Valentine, Edgeworth, another suburb of Newcastle. Um, I've got a lot around these sort of areas in these Newcastle suburbs, not necessarily in the blue chip areas so much. I do have Hamilton and New Lambton, which are but areas around there. But I went pretty hard, most of them around that Newcastle area. I moved back a little bit to where I grew up and bought some around there. Um, my grandmother's house is an old house that, yes, I spent a lot of time working on, but it's actually on three blocks of land that are split um, as individual blocks, which I might build some houses on. Um, and, and look, I'm from Taree. I brought some other – I've got property in Taree. I've got some properties in you know, Old Bar, which is a suburb, which is the beach area around Taree that probably haven't done as well as some of the others, Wallaby Point and those sorts of areas. And after that, it was a lot – a lot later before I've gone into, you know, so I've got got one around the Logan area. I've got a couple in Victoria, you know, one in St Kilda and another in a suburb not far from the airport uh, in the last few years. Um, I only actually own one property in Sydney uh, and uh, it's, um, it's, an, it's a house out west. Uh, and and then the other thing I got, I've got a block of six units that I bought in um, up north northeast of uh, of Brisbane in the last um, eighteen months or so. Throughout this process, B has learned about the significance of financial balance to set himself up for the future. I think part of it's been about the fact that you know growth areas. Um, I mean, the, the important fundamentals about investing in a property is you've, you're there to make some money out of it, which comes through capital growth and cash flow, or obviously manufactured actually through renovating or developing, and being capital light or, or, or equity light at the start, I couldn't go and buy $500,000 properties uh, because I didn't have enough equity. And, I, and, and it's still kept that way. And these ones also generally have returned quite well. I do um, believe fairly heavily in the Hunter and the Newcastle areas uh, still, um, still hold the properties I haven't sold. Um, so, uh, and, and the, the returns I get are those because you, you need the cash flow in order to keep going um, because, you know, having everything being negative or negatively geared or, or or costing you money to hold all the time can will run out eventually. And if you've got, you know, five or ten properties and a good salary, then that's okay. But once you start getting beyond, if you've got to keep propping up all the time, you'll run out of ability to, to finance property because of a lack of cash flow. And that's not 
the end game is to get to this this place and invest in this property with enough cash flow to actually support it, not force you to go to work to get it all the time for the rest of your life. Well, that's no good either. Although Beer has had many successes in his investing career, he's approached the tougher and slightly silver-lined moments as learning opportunities and gained some valuable knowledge. Look, I think, you know, and I probably haven't touched on what probably the worst is. <laughs> I've made some mistakes, <laughs> you know. Um, the good thing about mistakes is that I, I call them opportunities to learn. Um, and pretty early on, and it was the first foray into buying something in a different area. It was out of Newcastle and it was actually a block of land. I think I went surfing and bought it on the way home with my mate. I still own it. <laughs> still doesn't have a house on it. it um, so I bought a block of land and I, look, I had, it's not like I suddenly seen it in the area on the way home we probably had the intention to have a look but maybe not to buy um and the, the problem with that is that it's in a you know a new land area a new land release area was marketed pretty heavily um and i do uh, love the area i went on holidays there as a kid <laughs> all the all the mistakes that you know i talk of it's like every time i get a noose i want to buy something because i love it so much <laughs> But then you look at a price and realise that you should buy property that makes money so you can afford to go on holidays where you want to go on holidays and it might be a different place each time, you know. And this is probably that. I probably looked at visions of having a house that's on that that I could have as a holiday home as well, et cetera, because it's near the river and near the water and a good place to go fishing and close to good surfing beaches I grew up around. Uh, but it hasn't been a good investment because, it, you know, eventually as they released more stages, the value on that probably moved up and then we had a GFC and it probably moved down. And it's, look, it's worth more than I paid for it, but if I added all the interest over the years and things like that, it's it was a bad investment. Um the, the, and the thing it does is it ties up a little bit of equity. The fact that I bought it and I didn't have to pay for it until it settled in a period of time, meaning it, it didn't actually slow me down much. And I would have sold that now if it did slow me down, but it doesn't slow me down and never has actually badly stopped me from doing anything other than it's another bit of debt there that you know you've got and it didn't stop from a cash flow effect to me investing or that's the time you should move things on. Um, I'll probably build on it one day or maybe one day I'll get bored of it and flick it. But, you know, I've had it for uh, 15 years or so now and I haven't done it yet. <laughs> so uh, that's that's probably my worst mistake. <laughs> actually, no, my worst mistake is I actually own two of them. Luckily, his overall experience has been successful and B has been able to overcome investing doubts to expand his portfolio. It's about finance and the importance of understanding finance and how to finance property because that finance and leverage is the way that you make the money out of property in the long term. Um, understanding how to control the finance and how to control your risk through finance to me is a fundamental major understanding required in order to be successful and also to cover risks jumping in and doing that second property i went and saved my 20 percent for the first one which took a took quite a while and you know skimping and doing whatever you do to do that which is necessary to buy the crappiest property that was in a, such a bad state you know um but it was pretty hard to make that first decision without that little bit of prod from my partners who went it's time brad you've been saving you know this works you you, you know um it was, it's hard to take that jump, especially the first one. The second one, a little bit easier, especially so soon. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, I was buying it. Like once I got to six or seven, you know, there was no fear left. 
So, inspired by Beer's story and his passion for his business career, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on Property Investory Podcast, where we'll talk about how to apply Beer's strategy. The fact that I hold a lot of properties and part of the strategy has been to hold them because of growth. Understand his mindset for successful property investing. Other than you've got to find the right property and those things, your ability to control the finance and be ready with finance means you can jump on the deals when they're ready. And that's in a future episode on Property Investory Podcast. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send exclusively via email, you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening.